much love. Episode 22 and all of the episodes we've done, Julie, how are you? I am good. How are you? You know, you know this about me. I don't either like I'm doing okay or I have like this weird bout of Murphy's Law where it's like everything goes wrong in silly ways. And that's been the last like week for me, just silly, silly things happening. And I can do nothing but laugh about it because like I'm on so many stimulants. I never feel bad. So, (laughs) well, uh, I'm sorry you have terrible luck. And I'm sorry that that luck translated to this week's episode because friends, mm. this week's theme was Pulp Fiction. Sure and was. we have read Pulp Fiction in the past. And I actually quite enjoyed the last old school, super old Pulp Fiction book that we read. Mine was from like the 50s. It was about like communist china and like it was all kinds it was wacky and i loved it and i love reading pulp fiction generally because it's meant to be just like you just eat it right it's just like like it's it's not they're not hard to read they're not dense they're just made for a quick entertaining read yeah same and my book was about like fucking witches and stuff and i loved it It i mean there were problematic elements but the story itself was a lot of fun and i didn't come away like hating myself after I reading it but like not this week was not that no no this week was a hard opposite so if you're a regular listener to the show bienvenue uh and you know that we (laughs) usually uh we don't chat about the books before we hop on the pod and we usually just like give an outline of the book what we thought about it and then we do like a fun little reenactment well this week Renee and I had to have a little chat because I we oof, our books were so problematic uh, and so upsetting that we're gonna have to unpack it because I think it's like actually about much more than these two books. Yeah, it's important that we do it this way. So strap yourselves in, butts. Strap yourselves in, gird your loins. We're going in to yeah. We're gonna have a little bit of a feminist rant because our books were from the same collection ish. I think like what when was yours yeah. written? 82. Okay, so mine was 79. Okay. Um, and there were Harlequin romances, so they're legit, like, exactly what you think of with a Harlequin book. Um, mm-hmm. Traditional romantic book. But what's interesting to me is in our journey of doing this podcast, people, whenever we read kind of a kooky, like, a you know, ebooks that's been self-published, people think those are the ones that are going to be, like, oof, real yeah. problematic. And generally, they have not been yeah i mean they're wacky and they're out there and their people are fucking puppets and shit but it's not like <laughs> it's not like offensive who my book was so offensive mm-hmm. yeah i feel you and i am not dying to know but i'm dying to know so let's get into it julie what'd you read okay well what's important to note about my book is that again it's a straightforward romantic novel like it's not trying to be clever or um yeah like satirical in any way shape or form it was published in 79 and it's still in wicked condition so that part is really cool uh like truly mint condition including there's like an insert on the inside where you can send away to get a harlequin romance locket (laughs) commemorating harlequin's 30th anniversary and the tagline is all mankind loves a lover don't know what that means but okay okay um 
And it was written by Margaret Way, who's an Australian romance writer who has written more than 120 books since the 70s. And I thought, okay, when's the last time she wrote? She had a book come out this year. And has a book what? and has a book already slated for 2021. So this woman is prolific. And the themes that she usually kind of runs with are the outback, because she's from Australia, and my book was set in Australia. Uh, but a lot of like family sagas, like of really traditional kind of um like a soap opera like dynasty kind of like family drama type of vibe, which was certainly what my book was. So that's her kind of wheelhouse. And the protagonist in my book is called Julie. And Aww. the like tagline was Julie was just like her father, a rebel. So I was in, you know what I mean? Like it's in Australia. Yeah. I was in Australia last year, loved it. My name's Julie. I'm a rebel. My dad's a rebel. It all works out. Oh no. So Julie <laughs> arrives in Australia and she was invited by her grandfather, a man she didn't know even existed uh, because when her, her father never talked about his family. So her father is dead. Her mother is dead. Um, and you find out that her father was part of this fancy dynasty in Australia where they owned a bunch of vineyards. And he was being groomed to kind of take over the vineyards. But instead, he fell for this woman she was like, I can't be with you. I have to be with this other guy because my family wants me to be with him. He was heartbroken, devastated, left, never turned back. Went, married a French woman, had a family in Europe, never even told them about his family. So she knew nothing. And then all of a sudden she gets a letter in the mail saying, hi, I'm your grandfather. And I really want you to come visit and meet your family. So she's pumped, but she gets there and people are not real pumped to see her. And there's clearly some tension and it turns out that it's because people are mad at him for leaving and really kind of breaking Grapile's heart. So that's the thing that I love and adore is like they're based in Australia, but they have all these weird connections to like French royalty or some shit. And like her mom married a French woman. So, oh, sorry, her dad married a French woman. So there's a lot of like insertion of French. And for those of you who don't know me, I am French. French is my first language and dirty French. Like I'm from Northern Ontario. We're like seeds of slang on So all I pictured was like, even though she's written as this aristocratic French woman, I just kept being like, eh, Tsigi, what's up? Like, that's like literally <laughs> how I read every single piece of dialogue. Um, so basically she arrives and is trying to like warm up, but people are really sizing her up. And you find out that it's because, yeah, people didn't trust her dad. So they're like, what's her vibe? But also, I get where the family's coming from. They're like, this woman has never spoken to us ever. And then all of a sudden, Grandpire, who's about to, you know, who's sick and is dying and needs to find someone to take over his dynasty. All of a sudden, this woman shows up out of nowhere. So, like, I actually kind of get that they're a little bit suspicious about where this chick's coming from. But nonetheless, she's, like, fish out of water, just, like, super naive, trying to get everyone to like her, blah, blah, blah. They're like, okay, we're going to have this big party for you on Saturday. But be warned, Paul is going to be there. Now, Paul Durand is head of the Renard Durand family wine industry, and he's a bad boy. And he's a brilliant businessman, and he's gorgeous and whatever, but he's like a perpetual bachelor and just always just like, always has a lady on his arm. But they warn her about Paul because they're like, you know, don't fall for him and his shenanigans because Paul is... uh, kind of having a little bit of a thing with your cousin Lee and Lee loves him and she's a very jealous person. So if you like get ensnarled with his like bullshit, you're going to create family drama. So she's like, that's weird. Okay. 
meets him and sure enough he's super hot but also a piece of shit and then it just turns into this whole like will they won't they i hate him i love him like at one point the family's like paul you know you know the vineyards quite well go can give her a tour and then he's like shocked to discover that she actually knows things about wine and she's like yeah my dad didn't tell me that he came from a fancy vineyard family but he taught me about wine so like i'm not a redneck and he's just like nagging her the whole time like just like cutting her and then he'll like throw her a bone and she's like ah, like it's so fucking bad <laughs> and then you turn like part of his animosity towards her is that like her dad was in love with his mom and it's like why do you give a shit that was before you were even alive like it's just such like forced conflict i guess was kind of my annoyance with the book like they just kept like being like oh there's tension and i'm like is there or are you just making this up so Paul's a cocky, arrogant fuck, and I hate him with every single cell of my being. But not Julie, not fictional Julie. Fictional Julie cannot get enough. And it basically is like, who's going to inherit the estate? And will Julie stay in Australia forever and stay in the valley? Or will she go back to the UK? And there's lots of parties. And there's lots of sort of Jane Austen-esque soap opera drama bullshit. Women backstabbing other women. Women can't be trusted because they're all after men. Blah, blah, blah. Then like... Paul is still technically courting Lee, but he like kisses Juliet a bunch of times and like she literally is resisting him and he was just like, don't resist me, woman, and then like makes out with her and then she's like, oh, I love it. Like just fucked up, coercive nonsense. And then finally, the climax is that because it's Australia, there's a wicked brush fire. <gasps> and yeah, the vineyard, like half the vineyard is burnt to the ground uh paul's like family estate is burnt to the ground and his mother escapes the fire but basically dies of a broken heart so now he's all distraught because his mama has died so he leaves and goes out into the the woods to find himself and then comes back and he's like i'm better now uh and decides to be even more of a ruthless businessman and then he comes back and can and while he's gone, Julie's distraught and people are asking her why. And finally she like confesses to her grandpa that she's in love with Paul. And he's like, good. Paul's a good man. He's just dark and has layers. He's just an intense person. But if you can crack that shell. Uh, and then Paul comes back from his little fucking, I'm going to go find myself in the woods basically. And is like, I'm going to spend my life on my business, but I want you by my side. I want you on my arm. And she's like, yes. And they end up together. Oh, so oof, it was classic coercion mm -hmm. like just classic coercion is love like just truly what yeah all of those horrible tropes about men who are dark and moody like he was just so moody and would be nagging her which if you're not familiar with it it's like a pickup artist term where you like basically cut at a woman so her self-esteem is nothing and then you throw her like a bone and she's like oh my god thank you you must love me and like hot and cold hot and cold manipulation just like bullshit and this woman who like comes from this you know well-to-do like in terms of you know loving family in europe comes to australia mm -hmm. and is just like being told what to do by all these men and it's just like yeah okay i guess that's what i have to do but they're somehow making framing her as a rebel because she loved the bad guy but it's like that's not rebellious would be telling the bad guy to go fuck himself and get some therapy and like go live your life in your fancy vineyard, you know? Oh, uh, and then like just weird problematic shit. Like, I'm just going to read you a quote of like about the fire. 
Okay. They just throw in this detail, and I quote, the fire had been lit deliberately by a young migrant worker with a history of mental instability. Uh, what? Okay. What? And because I've been to Australia, I can attest to the intense racism and xenophobia of that country, um, and in particular their hatred of immigrants. So I felt like, ooh, way to peg it on a fucking young immigrant like a young migrant worker i was like that's gross who's mentally unwell that's gross um and just generally awful coercion pressure on this woman and i hated everything about it and i just kept thinking yeah if i was a woman in 1979 and this is what was fed to me as romance i would absolutely internalize the idea that toxic men just need to be like worn down and uh, yeah, so no spice, zero spice. Nothing was hot to me. There was no fucking, first of all, but also even like the quote unquote sexual tension wasn't sexual tension. Like it, she literally talks about how she's like afraid of this person and how that's somehow turns into sex appeal. Like she had just misunderstood her like fear. I'm like, no girl, trust your gut. Julie to Julie, yeah. trust your gut. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Valley of the Moon by okay. Margaret Way, which did not enjoy wow Whew, yeah how about you bud oh my god um i just you know you said my trigger word which was layers um <laughs> paul not unlike shrek has layers and the more you define like these broody men the more i related back to shrek because he was all of those things um, <laughs> as much as i love those movies you know um an ogre also has layers, not on like pull. So <laughs> I just, I had to like lighten the mood because we're going in deep and dark in a moment. Yeah, 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 so. buddy. Let's do it. Okay. So I read The Price of Paradise, 1982 by Jane Arbor. Jane Arbor, also super prolific, over a hundred books, has passed away. Um, but, um, you know, she has this really neat, uh, oh, she actually doesn't have a neat history. We're just going to ignore that. Um, she lives in England. She lived in England and has lots of cats. Um <laughs> neat history that's fantastic i guess <laughs> but then she wrote this book so i have no love oh, for okay her. the so, love is gone okay cool that's right so we meet fern uh wilder who um is this the daughter of sir manfred sterling that's his name sir manfred so sir manfred is an oil tycoon he owns the opal company they're based out of england but they're stationed all over the world because they're just stealing oil from everywhere fern was married to Grant Wilder. She married him at 19 and he was 33. They've been apart for three years. Now she's 22, he's 36. Grant is an up and coming oil executive, beloved by her father, Sir Manfred. Um, but their marriage has basically been over for about three years. Um, the reason it ended was because Grant expected Fern as his wife and property to go with him wherever he went for um, oil oil jobs basically like to go start up rigs and things like that after a stint in canada she just decided she didn't want to go anymore it was like horrible cold she was alone for all of it um she had no friends nothing and she just said i can't i can't go do that again please like take a desk job daddy will give you one um and he was like no like how could you even ask me to do that you're so selfish you knew this when you married me this is your job um and during this confrontation, she goes to hit him because he says some really nasty things, implying that she's as good as like a prostitute um, and just really demeaning her. She's an heiress and a socialite. Um, 
And so, and also like the daughter of a huge tycoon, it's like, don't, you know, she expects better from her husband. So she goes to slap him. He grabs her wrist very forcefully and then rapes her. Oh, and then he walks out on her not to be seen again for three years. So fast forward to three years, Fern is on her father's yacht called the Calypso, and they are bound for what they call Morocco, which I guess is Morocco, but in 1982 it's called Morocco. So they're bound for Morocco, and as they're pulling up to shore, Sir Manfred says, oh, by the way, Grant is here, and he will be coming aboard, and you will be doing your best to get him back. And she says, you know, not not a chance. Like, you tricked me. Why? Why didn't you tell me any of this? And he said, well, because you wouldn't have come. It's time to put away your petty differences and your pride, Fern. This is your fault. You left him and you need to get him back. And she's like, "Mm, I actually didn't leave him. Um, But, you know, and he's like, no, no, you did this. You know, you took all your time partying. Um, You've had three years to think it out. So you need to marry him. Like you need to get back together. So um, she... She decides, okay, fine, well, I can't get out of this. I'm in Morocco. I'm going to enjoy my vacation. Um, and so Sir Manfred says, Mrs. Grant Wilder, be it your prettiest. So she has to go off and get prettied up for this. Um, and Grant shows up unaware that Fern is there, but with the um, with the Austins, who are like the present managers of the Opal Oil Camp um, in Morocco. And Grant is being poised to take over their position. So the Logans are not, are the Austins. The Logans? Logans. The Logans <laughs> are not happy. It's Austin Logan. So the, the Logans are not happy. Um, and he brings them aboard. And then who does he meet but Fern? So he introduces Fern as Fern Sterling, the daughter of Manfred Sterling. And she realizes then that he has been masquerading as a bachelor. Nobody knows that he's married. And she figures just as well, I'm just going to get through this meeting and I'm going to get on with my life. And he makes a big to do about it. Um, and so at dinner, he tries to start kind of like undermining her skillfully, I guess, and like making fun of her, um, which she re- she responds to really, really well. And she's like, pardon me, I'm going to get some sleep. So she leaves. She goes to bed. Um, I guess um grant comes knocks on her door surprises her and is like i wasn't expecting to see you you embarrassed me um but just so you know um you need to be single while you're here because everyone thinks i'm single and she's like fine whatever and then she goes to talk to her dad her dad says the same thing um you know you embarrassed me tonight um and you know you need to understand that like because of like male tradition um your husband is gonna be pissed and this is your fault so uh that's kind of what happens there and she decides she's just going to make the best of her trip but dad says you need to start socializing because you're a socialite you're going to go to events and grant is going to be your chaperone because she's not allowed to go anywhere without a chaperone what she's not allowed to go anywhere without a chaperone they have to be a male chaperone she's really not allowed to walk or go anywhere on her own jesus yeah so um he tells her like you're gonna go with him you're he's gonna chaperone you you're gonna socialize don't embarrass him or me just play along and she's like okay so she goes to this gala and um it's in this hotel that grant has a penthouse above so when they're at the gala he takes her upstairs and he explains again like 
you need to maintain this illusion that I'm a single man. Uh, don't interfere with me. Um, you know, I'm sure you had a lot of fun traipsing along, whoring around, partying, uh, but that's over now. Like you need to behave. And so she decided like she's mad and she wants to let him know that she's mad and, you know, wants him to apologize, which is never going to happen. So she takes her wedding ring and throws it at him. And he just like carefully puts it in a drawer, closes it. And he's like, cool. All right. No problem. So she's very upset. She goes downstairs. Um, she's upset that he didn't care about the wedding ring. She meets a lady named Rhoda Camel. And she's like, I get the joke in my name. Don't tell me. I know. Um, and so she runs a daycare in the camp called the Camp Kresh. Like in Kresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and she runs that for the um, families who work in the camp. And uh, then this they, they, they become like these unlikely friends. It's really nice. Um, but Grant's like, I'm going to drive you home, uh, back to the yacht, um, and get you home to your dad. But as he's doing that, he pulls up and he drives the wrong way. And then he says that he's there to collect on his dues as her escort, basically implying like they need to have sex or she needs to kiss him or something. Um, and she's like really scared. Like she's very scared in this moment. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And then she he's like you know it's okay i'm trying to shackle you into matrimony again against your will direct quote so she decides she's like you know i'm not gonna bend to this like i want to enjoy my vacation i am just you know i just want to get through this and then i'll have to leave and i'll never to see him again um but along the way like her father and and grant are reiterating that this is her fault and then she's selfish and manipulative and you know that you know, she just had to be a good wife and like none of this would have happened. So he takes her home to the yacht and she tells her father about the wedding ring and all these things, you know, trying to get like some support from her dad to back her up. And he says, you should be thankful that he just put it in a drawer instead of uh, shoving it down your throat like he was entitled to. So this is what she's up against. My God. Yeah, straight up. So she is determined at this point that if her father's not going to back her up, and she has no support that she's going to make him suffer and apologize basically by just like pretending that she's very happy and she's not stressed and scared of the situation. She wants him to suffer. So, you know, of course, as a romance trope goes, like she's going to get dressed up really pretty and stuff. So the next day she goes um, to uh, the daycare in the camp because Rhoda uh, invited her and there she meets Ben Croftus and Ben Croftus is a doctor. Um, he works for the Opal company. He is very nice. He's really good with like kids and all of that stuff. And he's, he takes a shine to her cause she's gorgeous. And because Grant had made it very, very clear that like they have to behave as single people. She decides, well, I'll let him court me. Like, that's fine. This will be fine. And you know, she wants friends and she wants allies. So she starts going to these events. She starts getting, um, you know, to socialize, gets all these invitations to go visit people. Uh, ben then becomes her uh, chaperone to these things. Um, and then at one point Ben kisses her at a party and Grant sees her and then, um, like basically like drags her away and reminds her like she can't go anywhere with the chaperone and he's going to be her chaperone now. And then Ben gets called away to like deal with a heart attack or something. So Grant's like, oh, I will take you back to the yacht. And she's terrified at this point. Um, and she's like, no, no, just drive me home. And he's like, nope, nope, it's fine. So he pops her in his car. He drives her back to the yacht with Julie. The yacht isn't there anymore. Her father and Grant decided that 
Daddy was going to go to Australia without her, abandon her in Morocco so that she is forced to rely on Grant for his, quote, allowance um, and all manner of things that she might need to, um, you know, be well to do in this area. Um, and so he takes her back to um, her apartment or his apartment. Um, he explains, you know, daddy left you into my care for safekeeping. So, you know, just like get used to it. So she um, goes, she's given his bed and she decides that, um, you know, she has to figure out an, something tonight to like get out of this situation and get away from him. So she's already figuring how to flee mm-hmm. from this man who mm-hmm. is abducting her that her father helped facilitate. Um, and she decides, you know, she comes up with this plan. She's like, okay, well, I'm getting this allowance from Grant. That's probably enough for me to go stay in a hotel or something for now. Um, I'm going to go visit Rhoda in the morning because she might be able to help me. But this whole time, like appearances are so important to everybody that there's like this unspoken decorum where they can't let on too much or too little and they can't like cause scandal anywhere. And it's a whole to do. Um, so she kind of creeps out of the bedroom she's in to kind of go see like what what is my sort of like situation here? Can I get out? Is the door locked? Like what's happening? And Grant is like sleeping upright in a chair. And so when she goes to go check the door, it turns out he's woken up and then he starts saying, you know, well, you're being manipulative and you're trying to seduce me, but it's not going to work. Um, and then she gets really mad and hits him. And then he's like, you're just manipulative. I know you want me to fuck you. And, you know, why else would you be dressed like this in her nightgown? Why else would you be out here looking for an escape? Um, and so it's unclear, but he may have raped her again. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the next day she goes to the daycare. Um, she talks to Rhoda. She says, um, you know, could you use any help here? Because her other helper had just gotten married or was getting married and she was leaving. Um, and Rhoda's like, you know, I don't think you'd like it here. Like you're an heiress and stuff. She's like, no, no, I, like I love kids. I've been here helping you. because She'd been volunteering her time at this point. Um, and she's like, just hire me. And she's like, okay, well, where are you staying? And she's like, I actually don't have anywhere to stay. Cause my dad left. He, you know, it was, he was in a hurry. He had to go back for like work stuff. So Rhoda offers her like this little um, room in the daycare where she can live rent free. So this has worked out. She's, she's got a job because she can make some income. She's paired up with like a really strong, resilient woman um, who's got her back and is like, so no nonsense. Um, and she's got a place to stay. So everything has worked out for her. Um, she's kind of getting closer to Ben. Ben explains to her though, that like, um, you know, he has ambitions to travel the world and find a woman that wants to do that with him. And she's like, you know, in her heart, she's like, I don't want those things. Like, this is never going to be a thing. Um, and then, um, she goes to another party that Ben, um, accompanies her to, and she meets Rose DeMille. And Rose is this incredible singer and she travels the world. She's very sought after for her performances. Um, very glamorous and beautiful. And uh, Rose is very tight with Grant. And so Grant has made it no secret that he, you know, does what he wants. He's a playboy and that, you know, there's probably something going on between him and Rose. And so now Fern is starting to get jealous. She's, you know, her heart is starting to hurt and Grant is just playing it up in a big, bad way. Um, And I think Rose is kind of going along with it. Um, But what happens is Ben finds out that he is being offered a posting in Brazil. And Fern doesn't want to go to Brazil, but he's like, please marry me. Come to Brazil with me. And she's like, you know, we've never even been intimate or anything. And he's like, well, that's because I wanted a virgin wife. And in her head, she's like, tough luck, buddy. I'm not a virgin. Um, 
but she's like, you know, I don't love you that way. And, um, you know, thank you. I want to stay here in Morocco. And at this point she really does. She's really enjoying her time there. She's feeling independence for the first time. She's really struggling with this idea of like Grant being just like super sexual with everybody, but whatever. And Ben's like, he takes it really well. He's like, okay, that's great. Um, but she knows that Grant has facilitated this move and she goes up to Grant when they're talking about it. And he's like, so are you going to say anything about Brazil? And she's like, yeah, like, I know you did this on purpose, but like, I'm not going to let this get me down. And he's like, well, you're dangerous to men. And I'm really just helping Ben get away from you. And she's like, oh my God, am I really? No, no, no. So then um, we meet Frida Austin, who, or Frida Logan, who is the wife of the uh, rival that Grant has. And she's just like, loves to run her mouth and run gossip and stuff. And she mentions that Grant is um, such a satyr with the girls. None of them feel safe in the office. Um, And she's just like, okay. But then Fern starts finding that she's defending Grant. And she's like, he couldn't possibly be like this. You know, they're just jealous of him and blah, blah, blah. But then this woman named Vittora, Um, who's the sister of the woman that used to work in the daycare is pregnant. And she says that it's Grant's baby. Um, And yeah. And she's getting like weekly payments from Grant and she's kind of in hiding at this point, going to have this baby. Then (laughs) she keeps going. Then um, she finds out that Grant has gotten a posting in Norway and he's going to be leaving for Norway. And at this point she realizes like, you know, I could probably forgive all these indiscretions with Rose and, you know, this illegitimate child with Vittora and all this, you know, but if he would just ask me to go to Norway with him, I probably would. Like, I love him so much. Like, obviously, you know, the more I think about it, you know, they're right. I am really selfish. And like, I was wrong to not, you know, be a good wife and go with him where he wanted. But if you would just, if you would just ask me, I would go. And then they get this call that Vittora has run away from home, pregnant, barefoot, just left. Um, And so Rhoda calls Grant and Grant shows up and takes Fern with him to go find Vittora. Um, And then it turns out that actually Vittora is pregnant with like her husband's baby. They got married in secret and he's like a Buddhist monk right now. Um, And so they find out the true story that actually Frida had been paying her to say it was Grant's baby. So Grant's like, you know what? Keep taking her money. Like, I'll take that hit. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, because he's trying to like build up this thing that like obviously th- this couple, the Logans, are trying to sabotage him, and it's not there been like a rig fire, this whole big thing. Um, so they find her, they bring her back, um, and then Fern finds out from Sophie Dean, who is Rose's assistant, that Rose is also going to Norway. And at this point, she's just like, "Oh my god, you know, I just I want to be with him," and like he just like, but you know, obviously there's something going on with him and Rose and like, they're going to get married and this whole thing. And, uh, so she, there's going to be this going away party for Rose and she goes and then, cause Grant like shows up at her house. He's like, you're coming with me to this. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to like, I'm, I'm over this. And he's like, no, I'll pick you up at eight. And she's like, right. so he takes her to this gala for Rose. He then makes her come up to his apartment again, forces her to do that. And who was there, but Sir Manfred, her father literally literally in a chair with his back to the door and he rolls around and so my whole time i'm just like it's michael kane this is michael <laughs> i was picturing dr evil but run with it 
Ooh, love it, love it. Uh, both in the Austin Powers franchise, but I digress. Um, <laughs> so at this point, Sir Manfred explains that it was all a setup um, and that he is back um, to make sure that Grant gets off to Norway. Um, and then, uh, what else? Oh my God. Um, he's like, I'm really sorry, but you know, obviously if you're not going to, if you're not willing to make this work, this whole thing that we've cooked up, um, and you're just going to leave him anyway, um, you might as well come back to England with me. And she's like, you know what? Fine. Like I'll come back to England with you. And before that can happen, um, he gets a phone call from Scotland and an oil rig of theirs has detached from the coast and is floating off to sea and two people are feared dead. <gasps> yeah. So Sir Manfred is freaking out. He's like, I'm sorry. I got to go to Scotland right now. Like I can't even wait for you. And he's like, no, no, like I'll come. He's like, no, you're of no use to me. Stay here. Um, and so he's like, Grant is coming back from abroad. You need to fill him in on the details as they come in. And she's like, oh, okay. So Sir Manfred leaves and she's, thinking about these two people that have died and they're supposed to have been men. And one of them was a husband. And she's like, Oh my God, this could have been any oil rig. And this could have been grant on any of those oil rigs. I have to tell him how I feel. I love him. And you know, I, I, I was so selfish. I should have just been a good wife to him and done what he had needed me to do and everything would be fine. And so um, she finds out that grants plane is back and she's, you know has to like tell him how she feels and so there's like this weird like cat and mouse game where she's chasing all over in a taxi to find him and it turns out he'd gone to the yacht anyway um and so she explains to him you know i i knew that like um you know i thought it could be you and i realized i loved you and all of this and then he explains to her that all of it was a setup what? all of it the whole thing was a setup the Norway thing, he, you know, he knew that she would be jealous if he found out he was going to Norway and Rose was going the same way. Um, he explains that, you know, she had never had anything to worry about with Rose, even though he was like really pumping up that they were dating because this is where they absolve her of any sins, um, is that she is a very dutiful wife to a paraplegic in Paris. <laughs> yeah. And he, she, you know, she's very serious about their marriage and never would have crossed that line and that he was never interested in her anyway, just, you know, good friends. Um, and that all of it had just been a big scheme to wear her down, to basically force her to go back to him. And I was going to read a whole thing from that, but it's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. And so by the end of this reveal, by the end of it, and her anxiety is finally gone, um, you know, she learns that like, he's going to stay in Morocco and she's so happy about it, but her entire demeanor has changed at this point. She's, you know, so happy that things are going back the way there. Instead of being this like gutsy feisty lady, she now becomes this really submissive woman where she's like asking him things with pleases and may eyes. And he says, um, she says, you know, you know, can I please, um, you know, tell my friend what's happened. And, He's like, I guess. And then she's like, and supposing I find myself with some spare time on my hands, could I sometimes go and help Rhoda with the children again? And he says, what a suppliant, obedient little shrew you're turning into. He mocked, may I, can we? Don't get too biddable, will you? Or you won't be my fern anymore. Um, and how much twiddle thumb time do you suppose you'll have left from being my housekeeper and my hostess and my playmate and only mistress of my heart? So he's just like, yes. I fucking did it. And then they bang and she like believes that like this was what meant to be. And then he takes his wedding, her wedding ring out of his pocket, 
puts it back on her finger and he says with my body i thee worship um and she's just happy he brought the ring back but doesn't realize like that's really symbolic of the fact that she's now a prisoner forever yeah and um it was awful and like i don't want to read anything from this book julie because all of it is just gaslighting and just tearing this woman down um and it's so angry because you just read this book and you just see the power being beat out of her yeah. at every turn like he's never nice to her he's never kind to her they're constantly blaming her for this breakup um she's actively scared of him uh, but he plays those cards of like you know planting these seeds to make her jealous and you know showing him how like proud he is of like his accomplishments and she's like you know this is what i want for him i want to be able to like nurse all of his ambitions and this and that and when i finished the book I was really sad because I thought if there was a woman in 1982 who was in this kind of abusive, manipulative, gaslighting marriage, who was considering leaving and they read this, they probably wouldn't leave after uh, because this was this is considered a romance for this era. And also by such a prolific author. And I'm like, people would have been buying her books. Harlequin printed this under their name and women are going to read this and not leave bad situations or think that they're wrong for feeling that way or accept that, you know, they're just, they just exist to lift up the men in their lives. And it's so sad. Yes. It's so yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. So that was my book. Um, yeah. Th- there's obviously no spice. I'm not going to give it any sort of rating. Um, they had sex for one page and there was no any of it. And I wouldn't have, you know, you know, it's, it was awful. And I'm really sad that I read this. The reason I picked it though, and you'll know this is that um, the couple on the cover are embracing, but it looks like Dolly Parton and Mark Hamill. And I thought that was just darling. Um, yeah. And I was like, this is going to be a great book. Um, but you know, at the beginning I was like, yeah, this girl's feisty like Dolly. Dolly would never stand for this. Jolene. And then, um, (laughs) and then like, no, she just gets beaten down and you see it happening. And like, there's times where she accepts it. She's like, okay, you know what? Like, this isn't meant to be, he's obviously moving on. It's fine. But then he does one little thing that fucking sucks her back in or her dad shows up, you know, and she's looking for his approval, but instead he's just like concocting this big parent trap thing with her ex-husband and um, at no point does he apologize at no point does he um, say that he was wrong at no point um, like any of it like any of it he never takes any kind of responsibility this whole book is about her being duped into believing that she done him wrong and um, I would be really uh, hard-pressed to read another book by this author, by Harlequin Romance for this era. Yeah. 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 Oh my God, same. Like, and I think about not just the fact that, like, that it's awful on its own, but yeah, the context of, like, late 70s, early 80s, like, it wasn't until the early 2000s that you could have access to, like, the internet where you could find, like, conflicting information, but also, yeah, like, different versions of like different perspectives on romance different perspective analysis critical analysis gender-based analysis feminist like that stuff was not readily available or mainstream in the way that it is today 
So you, like, the only messages you're getting about romance, unless you come from a really progressive family where they're countering that, but these messages that you would get from the books that you read, but also the movies that you watched, right? Like, yeah. even I think about, like, like John Hughes movies, right? Like, things like Sixteen Candles and, like, Pretty in Pink. Like, there's, like, so many fucked up... Like, John Cusack, beloved peanut of a person, but him standing outside a boombox being like, take me back! Like, standing outside with a boombox, you know, to this his ex's apartment. Like, those are all the messages that we got about, like, just bad boundaries. Just bad boundaries. Um, and setting mm-hmm. the bar super, super, super low. That And, like, yeah, these weird ideas of, like, stand by your man. Yeah, and I also wonder, too, like, given the era, like, yours is late 70s, mine's early 80s, like, you know, we know that, like, second wave feminism kicked in in a big way in the late 60s and into the 70s, and women are getting divorced, women are working. Big theme in my book was, like, everybody was, like, you're not allowed to work. Absolutely not. Um, And so I just wonder, like, is this a response to that? Like, are all Harlequin books from this time, like, against that like would we find a book from harlequin romance for this era where a woman's just like you know i left my bad husband and i found this hot piece like fucking thelma and louise like would that happen i don't i don't think so i don't think so and it's just it's it's yeah it's bad it's not right there's no way to think critically about it no and there's no there was no like so few opportunities to to counter that message again, unless, like I said, you came from a family where people were really attuned to these issues and explicit about like, this is what it means to be in a healthy relationship. So yeah, in my case, it was assuming that uh, someone who's really moody and, and dark is just layered and like mysterious instead of being like manipulative. Um, yeah. Yeah. And coercion, like, you know, as an educator who works with young women, people of all genders, but I, whenever I do work with young women and they talk, all they want to talk about is coercion is like feeling yeah. guilt tripped or manipulated into doing things. And like, is it really wrong? Cause I kind of went along with it. Uh, and just like no agency. And that's what I felt about this whole thing. And it was, I think my book particularly frustrating because Julie was literally labeled as like a rebel. So I thought, okay, this is a woman who's going to show up there and be like, y'all are regressive as shit. And that's not how I live my life. But no, nope, 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 nope. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be considered strong willed. And she still was so deferential and so, yeah, just like whatever I'm being told I need to do and I just don't want to make waves and yeah. Oh, and like yeah. If you're listening to this, like a dude who nags you, a dude who is obsessed with power and control in all aspects of his life, not a good dude. There's no, no there's no layers to that. It's quite simple. That person is bad and we need to leave them and stay gone. Yeah. Also like in my book every time Fern was finding the courage to express herself and her frustration, they would just label her as hysterical. Um, oy, oy, oy. And like, I'm going down this like conspiracy rabbit hole right now. Cause I'm like, who fucking owned Harlequin romance yeah. in this era? Was it a man? Was, were they like notoriously anti woman? Like yeah. what, what was going on that they like approved this? Also like these books would have been affordable. Yes. Like my book was a dollar 50. So it's like, there could have been women who, were only maybe allowed to leave their house to get groceries on a budget. And like these books would have been there at the till and they could have picked it up to just like escape from their lives. And then it's just sending them this message that it's like all of your bad feelings and your hysterics are wrong and you're wrong. And you know, your husband has every right to treat you the way that you do and your job is to lift him up. So, you know, thanks for buying your groceries. Um, I'm glad you have this message now and, you know, keep living your life. 
Yeah. And that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thumbs down for this week's books. Um, and the good news is, we do have good news, friends, that next yes. week's theme is gonna be bananas. It's gonna be filthy. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be hilarious. It's gonna be hot, 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 Julie. So hot. You know why, Renee? Is it because we're doing firefighters? Next Hell week? yeah! There's some hoes yeah. in this house. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to fucking yeah. We're gonna spray down the heat next week with some firefighters. So um, yeah, I'm glad. Like I'm not happy I read this book, but I'm happy we read a book that allowed us to at least like unpack what. You know what I mean? Because I'm. This is. These are not the only two books in the genre that are that problematic, and I think it's important mm-hmm. that you know, as much as we are enjoying the books, or they're so bad that they're funny. Um, yeah, it is important for us to also take a moment to be like, let's talk about when you had so few role models of what a relationship looked like, and this is the narrative that you received. No wonder women have been mind fucked since the beginning of time. <laughs> yeah. It's also this stuff that gives romance such a bad name, right? Yes. Yes. Like, I really think if you're a longtime listener of the show, I think some of you will be surprised to to, to see that, like, oh, yeah, this, like, they, we weren't being, we weren't strategically not choosing those books. We're just, like, choosing a bunch of different things. But I think most people are surprised to find that week after week, we're not reading books that are all like this, like, because the stereotype mm-hmm. is every single week we're reading a book that's so misogynist and so offensive and we're just going to make fun of them. And we said from the jump that like, we didn't aim to make fun of romance novels because it's just an easy joke to make because anything women like we love to make fun of, but this was like, we had to say something, you know, because those things do exist. Like the stereotype comes from somewhere, you know? So I'm hoping, I don't know. I, I might poke around and see some of this particular author in my case, Margaret way, see if her newer stuff has changed at all. Yeah, um, that'd be interesting. But overall, do not read these books, my friends. They These two no. books are fucking tragic. Rapey, yeah. not okay. Next week, we're going to read some hot firefighter action. I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. Mine's real gay. Nice. Mine's real... Um, I don't even know how to describe it. You just have to wait because it's a lot. Oh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, so stick around for next week if you want to get back to some lols. I'm glad we had a serious interlude because it needed to be done. Needed to be said. And if I'm going to shit talk anything with anyone, I'd love to be shit talking with you, Renee. So. Oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> it was real good chatting with you. Stick around next week, folks. We're going to read about some firefighters. And in the meantime, um, head to our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Nope, not Facebook. Facebook sucks. Instagram, Twitter. I don't know why I said Facebook. Oh, maybe because Instagram is turning into fucking Facebook with like the marketplace elements of it now. Anyways, but yes, head to Instagram and Twitter if you want to see the, because at least mine has a funny cover and yours does too. It's very airbrushed. It's like a painting and mine is like two people making out in a vineyard. So (laughs) yeah, mine legit looks like Dolly Parton and Mark Hamill, like no word of light up to the up to the godly hair like it's unreal you know what mark hamill would never do that to a woman and dolly wouldn't stand for it so this this is false advertising absolutely um and also zero to zero because nobody got their pussy ate oh 
Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Female pleasure was not even a theme in my book at all. No, mine at all. It was literally her saying no and then him like grabbing her and kissing her anyway, which is literally her on the cover. It looks like she's like pulling away from him, but they're making it seem like it's a moment of lust and passion. But if you want some airbrushed hilarity, go to our socials to see the cover of the books. Otherwise, we will see you all next week. Next week, do you want to sing us out, my friend? Sure do. Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS, the number two, J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.